You're listening to the Empowered Woman, Badass and Unfiltered Podcast, a place for inspiration, empowerment, and personal development. Showcasing badass women from all over the world, giving tips on personal development, mindset, and healing. I'm your host, Olivia, transformational success coach for spiritual female entrepreneurs. Now let's dive into this episode. Welcome back to the Empowered Woman, Badass, and Unfiltered Podcast. Today, we're talking about the strength of vulnerability. You know, to be vulnerable is to take action despite of the what ifs and perceived risk. To be vulnerable is to look inside, be open and honest with yourself. Your choices matter. Our choices become our actions. So we need to be intentional. We have the power to reframe our thoughts and retrain our brain. And today I have the person here for you. He's, she's Catriona Evans. And we're we're talking about her book. We're talking about true vulnerability, vulnerability. And um, you know, she's she's an author, she's an inspirational speaker, she's been on multiple stages. And um, today we've got her here on the Empowered Woman, Badass and Unfiltered. Definitely check her out in the links below, all the way from Northern Ireland. You're my first guest from Ireland, I think. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, all the way from Northern Ireland, Katriana Evans. I'm so happy to have you. It is really, really good to be here. Yeah. So, okay. Tell me a little bit about what got you to start doing this book. If you had asked me, were you going to write a book? Is it on the cards? Um, maybe three years ago. Not a chance, there's no way. No way, I'm not an author. My voice doesn't matter and nobody, who wants to know? Who would want to know? So I opened my first business in 2016 and I'd been diagnosed in 2014 with throat cancer. And it was like, oh, curveball. Long story short, I had to come out of my teaching assistant job and I didn't know what to do. I was just totally lost, didn't know how to be anything. And so I thought, right, okay, I need something to focus on during all this palaver going on. So I taught myself to bake pretty much anything and everything. And I taught myself to make chocolate truffles and then ordinary chocolates and painted chocolates and fudge and I went up and I did all this and somebody said right okay well you know lots of people were buying them and people were saying oh you should set up a business now the cancer treatment being successful I was at happy days why not to everything so I opened the business and I was busy going out and building the relationships meeting people I, I can't stand the word networking you know you think of all these old men and their suits and business cards so I'm out there building the relationships and all the rest of it and they're all I can see them all up here you know really high level I'm thinking what am I doing here you know real proper imposter syndrome what am I even doing here and so I held on to all these old beliefs that were keeping me in victim mode and I would refer back to all the things that had gone on in my life from the epilepsy to the toxic relationship to X, Y, Z and all the rest of it. And it was like a safety blanket that kept me there. So then I'll say, but you should write a book. I don't know. 
nobody really, you know, who, who would want to read it? So, so many people said this, and eventually I read, okay, I'll give it a go. And I think over the course of two years, I got two chapters written because I just wasn't committed to it properly. And then after a while, I thought, right, okay, no, I'm really going to commit to this. I surrounded myself with really, you know, people who inspired me. And I went then, really tried to connect with, like I say, people who inspired me, who I wanted to be more like and emulate. I thought, right, okay, that's it. I'm going to commit to this book. And I did, thinking that it would be a cathartic process. And it was at first, and I'm not sure at what stage I thought, oh, this can help people. And that's how I began writing the book. I don't know if I would have continued, Olivia, if I hadn't had that. I have an opportunity to help people with this, you know, so that it can resonate in their daily lives. So that's kind of how the book came about. Um, so I didn't realize this, but was your first business like a bakery? I, um, sold chocolates and fudge and cakes and cupcakes. And that was my first business. And really that was talk about unplanned and flying by the seat of your pants, really. And I gave myself just under a year to be perfect before I decided I'm not good enough at this. <laughs> a year but, to be perfect. Oh yeah. Yeah, I thought I, I will have this nailed. I was convinced I knew exactly what I was doing. And if I had bothered to actually turn around to someone and say, can, I, you know, can you help me out with this? I might have gotten a bit further there was no way I was going to be perfect. I don't. I just was very harsh on myself. Right. That's why I'm like a year to be perfect when it takes people, yeah. you know, five years to become experts in their in their field, and that's if yeah. they're actually just focusing on that one specific thing. Yeah. And I the food so and beverage industry, one year is still fun. You're no, just getting your want... feet wet, especially when yeah. it comes to getting known and all these other things. Yeah, and I was totally so, I suppose I was so ego-driven back then and no awareness that I was just, you know, I know exactly who my target audience is, I know exactly what's special about these and nobody could have told me different, you know. And I was just like, no, I know exactly what I'm doing and I will look like such a failure if I don't get this right. And I've always had a very, we, we are, I know we always say, and we are our own worst critics. But God, I was damning. <laughs> I was so, so harsh on myself. And I, I did do, I actually then did ask for help. And that's when I started to get some traction. And after a few years, the fudge in particular was really, really selling so well. And I was doing a med drink course with somebody. And the homework was one week, write the story of your life. And then another week it was from your deathbed at the age of 98. Did you live a fulfilled, pur purposeful, intentional life? 
And mine was a resounding beep. No, I did not. And I knew exactly what I did want to do and it was not make chocolates or sell fudge or any of that. Was was this a, a turning point for your vulnerability? Well, the turning point with the vulnerability came more around 2015. Now I say the turning point, that was the beginning, the beginning of it. And like you say, things take time. Mm-hmm. And from around 2015, over the last seven years, it's taken me. But today, I am a victor. Because I choose to be a victor. My turning point for the vulnerability was when I came home and the doctor had said to me, you need to have some conversations, some very hard conversations, starting with your mum. And I walked away thinking, what are you even talking about? And got home. And this is where my vulnerability really made a world of difference for me. I opened up to them and I said, I had two different conversations, very similar just with my mum and also then with my partner Lee. And I said, you know what? I'm not coping here. I have been in a very dark place for a very long time. I told them about the self-harming and the rest. And then all of a sudden I created this opportunity. One, I'd also let them in to try and, like, you'll not necessarily understand that, but to know what was going on with me and to be there for me and to help me and support me. And then I'd also given myself this opportunity and this choice, are you going to stay here in a new victim mode where you're reliant? I know that it's from the goodness of their heart and they love me so much. I'm very, very blessed that way. At the same time, if I kept relying on them, I was going to be stuck in that victim mode of, you know, I can't do it, so someone else has to do it for me. You know that narrative. And so the opportunity, though, was the chance to grow. And you write about this in your book. Um, Yeah. You know, from being vulnerable, victim to victor. Can you go into a little bit of detail about that and, um, you know, how it'll help other people? Yeah. Yeah, the book, um, it, I I begin with my own backstory Mm -hmm. because I am qualified by life. To me, that's the best experience you can have if you're going to help others. And so, like I said, it began as a cathartic process. And then after a while, as I mentioned, you know, it's oh, this could help people. So I thought, right, okay, if I'm going to write a book called The Invulnerable, because I'm encouraging people to really think about how they're creating the opportunity to grow, I thought, right, I have to be properly vulnerable myself, really open and honest, and tell it like it was, warts and all. So I did I did that and I covered the sort of things that made me choose to be a victim and choice is so, so important. I did choose to be a victim 
and let my circumstances dictate, dictate those things to me. But then I also go into embarrassment and shame that I had felt. And then I go off there, um, I share a lot of my, the tools and techniques that I used to transition from victim to victor. And I think that a lot of the things I cover also go back to choice and perception because if, if you look up, and I did actually a while ago, I typed in on the US or onto the search bar, what is vulnerability? And I stopped counting after 20 hits and two pages because all of them were about being a weakness. You know, about the being vulnerable to somebody or something and easily hurt. You know, all those definitions and it's very, very true. But I wanted to get the point across to people that there's another definition. The one you read earlier, to be vulnerable is to act with courage, despite the risks, the what ifs. And it is also to create an opportunity for yourself to grow. Being vulnerable is very much about your, your choices, your opportunities and your growth and development. Because really a definition of something is the way you label it. And I, I find those, I write about how we label situations, how we then perceive ourselves as a part of that situation sometimes. I did that in a very unhealthy way, which I share in the book. But it's, um, I think it's important that people realise Life, life is unfolding around them and just because you are in that situation it doesn't make them part of it and it's really important to be aware of that you're a, a participator you are an observer you're not the actual experience and I try to get that message across as well because I came away from a particular experience in a relationship and I just felt on the floor. I was just on the floor. I felt dirty and I felt ashamed. And I am so sorry. That's, I, I sent a message, sorry. I sent a message to my mum earlier. Don't call down after five, do the podcast. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, and I came out of that relationship on the floor and hated myself, just totally ashamed and it affected a lot of areas of my life, not just myself but with other people. So the thing about your past experience is one, I was not that experience. I certainly wasn't dirty or, or you know, I had nothing to be ashamed of. But the wonderful thing about your past is it is your past. It is gone. It's like unwrapping a present. And you take the layers off and it goes back. I think you chuck those layers away, you know? They're done. But you've got this moment now, and this, this moment now, you've got mature reflection. People say hindsight's a wonderful thing. Well, it is if you use it and you actually reflect on the time. I said, right, okay. 
I see that for what it was. No, she's a girl. She made a mistake and error in judgment. That was somebody who was totally unaligned with her values. Words just wasn't a good relationship. Okay, I could say that was a hugely negative experience and I believe negative and things because of it. Or I can see it for what it is actually and say, I learned a lot from that. I learned so, so much. Never mind the fact that I learned how strong I am to have gone through that. I've learned more about sort of judging people's characters, about my own values and my strength of character. And even just being more aware of my growth and development, being more aware of situations I'm in. So any situation at all, there will always be a positive. And I, I just want to hammer that home in the book. You know, it's like two sentences later. Did I mention, by the way, there's always a positive? You know, because if you think of a battery, you know, you, if you've got a negative, you have to have a positive. Life's the same. I'm, I'm, there's a lot of notes that I have taken here. Um, I think something interesting you said was choosing to be a victim. And a lot of people, a lot of people do not like that. They think, well, you know, this horrible thing happened to me. I'm not choosing this. But in that, in, in the action, I think that, you know, I, I know what I think about it. Do you want to go into more detail about how people choose to be the victim? Yeah, I, I know a lot of people would say could be offended. But here's the thing, you, you have to choose to be offended. I don't mean it really to anybody. I come from a place of authenticity because I've done it for over 30 years of my life. When things happen, like for myself, say epilepsy from the age of 11. And I could have chosen to say, do you know what? Happy days, where I live, my medication is free. And I'm on it for life. So, happy days. Great, I've got medication that will keep the fits under control. Brilliant. All that means I can get on with my life. Instead, I saw every single negative things. It's like, per me, it's not fair, but I have 23 fits a day. But I fell in the middle of the road, I nearly got knocked out. It's not fair. And rather than looking about to see what choices I had, I had myself like this. I couldn't do anything. I had no opportunities to me. I thought I have no opportunities. I have no choices. And I held on to this, I can't. And per me, and I inflated it until it actually became, I thought that it was me. And I held on to it, like I said, like a safety blanket because it meant if somebody turned around and I can only, I can only articulate this now in hindsight. If someone turns around and says, but you can do that, you are strong enough. I say, no, you don't understand. I have, I have epilepsy. I can't, you know, it's so, so easy to turn around and say, I don't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. To choose ho chosen but, hopelessness is really what it sounds like. That's exactly what it is because an adult makes something like 35,000 choices throughout the day, roughly. 
It's a lot of choices. So we don't always see that we're making a choice. You know, we, we have that initial emotion and then there's a thought that follows that emotion. And there's one technique that I put say in the book and I love this technique. It's reframing. And it's so, so easy to reframe how I label a situation, how I label myself in it. And the thing of it is, is because you have your emotion, the thought then follows, and it tends to be that your thought perpetuates your emotion and there's a cycle of it. But when you actually choose to take that emotion and think, why am I feeling that? Okay, what can I do with that? Then you're taking control and you're looking at your life and you can see, well, actually, I do have a choice. And it could be really, really hard, the other choice. But it is there. I mean, I could choose to make the most of it. I, actually, this is a lie, actually, because I don't have a gym membership. Hands up. But I could choose to say, right, I'm going to make the most of my gym membership. Got to go up there for an hour. Or I could choose to sit at home and binge on Stranger Things. If you haven't watched it, it's so good. So good. But I wasn't at the gym. <laughs> That was my choice. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me of the book, um, The Slight Edge, which I'm such a big fan of that book because it, it's really like the little choices that we make every single day that take us where we want to go. The choice to have the apple or the candy bar. You know, the choice to have the, um, to go on the walk. You know, even if it's just a walk, are to sit and relax, you know, or stay in bed later, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. It's choices, it's something I was never, never really aware of. And it never occurred to me, you're making a choice here. And it certainly never occurred to me that, you know, right, your emotions trigger your thoughts, your thoughts dictate your actions, your actions tend to become habitual. And the next thing, you have formed your entire life. All those little moments building up, creating your lifetime. And without being intentional in those thoughts, then we are just, we just give away any power that we could have. And we are all so amazing. And we can all do absolutely anything that we put our mind to. We might get it wrong. It's fair enough. But you learn something from it. You know? something else that you've been hinting at, which again, you, you did is self-awareness and the importance of self-awareness on your vulnerability journey. I feel like that's, you know, heavily what your book's about because um, this, it doesn't just happen overnight to be, to step in courage, to, to not be afraid of what if somebody's going to think this, you know, having self-awareness and also just there's other things that go into that as well. Um, do you want to touch on the importance of self-awareness? Oh, it's it's so huge, isn't it? It's really, really key. And it doesn't just say happen, like you're saying, it's it's not this quick like light bulb moment. And it's like, oh, I'm aware, I know what I'm doing, I know what exactly what I'm doing, and you know, it just oh, it'd be so good if it worked that way. You know, it would be so cool. But it just doesn't. And for me, 
a lot of it came down to what I suppose is a buzzword now of journaling. It came down to a lot of journaling and a lot of things like you know, the life coaching. And all of a sudden my life coach said to me, she says, I love your thinking face. So I just, you know, this thinking face says, you're really, I can tell you're thinking about what your answer is and that. So I started to realize that the more that I was journaling, and the more I was working with the life coach, the more I was starting to see what was happening around me. Um, when I started to notice what was happening around me, I also became willing to shift the lens. And when you shift that lens and see it from a different perspective, and you know, that really helped me to then live from an empowered place because I was aware of my feelings. I was aware that, oh, Catriona, you're reacting a lot there rather than responding. I was aware more of my triggers. People triggered me on things or maybe even other people's. And I also became so aware of the love and support that I have around me. And I do a chapter actually on this part. I think it's really important to say it. It's not kind of about the importance of self-awareness, but I did a chapter on the bigger picture because I was so aware that yes, I was in the eye of the storm. It was me had cancer, epilepsy, depression, anxiety, you know, all the rest of that stuff. But it was my family who had to sit and watch me go through that. It was my family who I told and they were like, whoa. And that terrified them. And I thought about it. They went through as much as I did, just in a really different way, perceiving it in a really different way. Because if you look at an object and then you move and you look at it from another angle, you'll maybe see curves or bits that jut out that you hadn't seen before. So it was the same thing. Their perception was different. Their viewpoint was different. And it was horrible for them in so many ways. And I became so aware of that. And it meant that then I'm now more able to be uh, what's I'm trying to think of the phrase. I'm, 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 I'm more aware of how I treat them. And I think that that's a really big thing because when I journal, it's important that I'm open and honest with myself. And when I talk to them, it's important that I'm open and honest with them. And the same with how you would treat yourself with respect, you treat them with respect. And you show appreciation for the things they do. So all of this came into the self-awareness for me. It's, it's such a huge topic, I couldn't really give a succinct answer. <laughs> because it is so important in so many areas. And so what I'm saying about journaling too, there's another thing about journaling. <laughs> I fell into a really slippery slope at one stage because I only ever journaled the negative, mm. the per me aspect. 
And then after a while I realized, you know, I have to balance it. Yes, you can acknowledge the negatives and then choose to see, to find the lesson or the opportunity or the positive. But you have to be aware when you're journaling that you're not constantly focusing on the negative. There's, okay, there's so many things I want to say on on this before we get, before we get lost. There's a few questions I have. There um, is something that I want to say about journaling too. I think a lot of people journal as if it's not honest. You know, a lot of people, because they journal as if somebody's going to see it some other day. So they want it to seem so perfect. I used to be guilty of that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm going to write this one day. So I want it to seem like without saying the right things, like the true things, right? And then like you're saying, you know, stating only the negative, only the, and ruminating on that and not looking at it from a third person perspective until you did. And I think that that self-awareness allows you to do that. But also I, I would, would you say that you had, you practiced, you began to practice more gratitude? A lot, a lot. And also the other one is, would you say that, you had an increased personal responsibility when you increased your self-awareness. Definitely. Definitely. It was very much you start to, because, because you are so aware of the things, and one thought will trigger the next thought. And all of a sudden you're sort of aware of right, my part in this situation that you need to just step up and say, you know, do you know what? Yeah, I take responsibility for that. Excuse me. So yeah, you're right. It it just really that awareness to triggering more thoughts, and you realizing right, I have responsibilities in this. Um, and I mean, I think that that goes to show like when you have a perspective of being the victor, and while you're not choosing to be the victim anymore, but you've got you're choosing to be the victor. You're choosing to be more self-aware, you're choosing to take personal accountability, you're choosing, you're choosing to practice more gratitude, you're choosing to acknowledge the good, you're choosing to acknowledge the bad and reframe it and find the good. I think that's, that's very powerful in um, what, what you're doing, especially in, in, in the book and showing other people how to do that as well. Um, so who exactly does this book help? Firstly, they sit you with, you've got your categories for your book, and it'll say self-help books and memoirs, autobiographies. Well, my book will fit into those two categories, like mm -hmm. memoirs and self-help. Not a gripe, but it does irritate me in a way because the word self-help, a self-help book, I don't see it as a self-help book because to me that would insinuate that the reader is broken and mm. that I'm going to fix them. Mm. None of us are broken. Things go wrong. But we can build ourselves up. And it's not up to the author to do that. I see it as 
rather than self-help but with the theories and affirmations. It's written from a really open, honest, personal angle so that others can relate to it. Because I don't want to seem like an author of one of these books where the outcome seems totally unattainable. <laughs> so I suppose it's for, it is for people who suffer from very low self-esteem. Who've lost themselves, lost their confidence, their identity, who maybe have an unseen illness or are struggling with their emotions, their thoughts and feelings. And I, I, I do hope that it's also very thought provoking for people to make them think of where they are in their own lives and the situations they find themselves in. Because I believe wholeheartedly when I when I sat down and I thought, right, okay, this can help somebody. And that's what kept me going writing it. I believe then I don't want this to be something that somebody will read and put in their shelf. If they can only take, you know, two or three things from it, Brilliant, but they will have got something from that book, not just a few hours of enjoying reading it. I want to make a positive dent with it. So, yeah, really, the pe those people who maybe have that unseen illness, who have totally lost themselves, uh, maybe just had a diagnosis of, say, cancer or something, But I also think it could help, it could really help anybody because whilst the niche is to help people learn to reframe things, see things differently, to learn to grow, everybody has that room for growth and by choosing to be vulnerable, you're creating that opportunity, that catalyst to grow again. So it, it, truthfully, I do think that it could benefit anybody. Um, you know, I will say when I think of self-help books, I think more so like personal development and self-improvement. I never thought of it like, you know, the person, but that's because I, I love, like, those are the only books for the longest that I would even like to read. We're like, okay, how can I become better? But I think that's, that has to do with my personality type. Um, yeah. I can see why a lot of people, you know, would see it from a different perspective for so sure. I, I I do love self-development books, but I don't even refer to them as self-help books. I love a really good self-development book. I love Brandon Bucard's Growth Day app. Mm -hmm. He's fabulous. I listen to his daily fire every morning and I actually record it so that I can listen again sometimes because you know, you know the one that's gone at midnight then. So I record it so I can listen to it again. But yeah, I, I love all those, but I don't, I don't label them self-help but it's like I said about everything though you, the definition of something is really just the label we hang on it right right because to me self-help just focuses more on like healing and like how to handle traumas and stuff like that yeah. um but 
I also think that that's a part of personal development, like to, to become yeah. better, like to really develop as an individual. See, and that's why I guess I've always like, yeah, they're different. Like they've got their, I, I think it's more like a sub niche, <laughs> because, yeah, you is. know, like, um, because it, it, it just focuses on the person, but that me being a coach, like, I'm like, okay, this is, I focus on productivity mindset and using the menstrual cycles to the benefit, but um, you know, I, I journaling is one of those things that's really incorporated in that reframing, reframing your mind. These techniques are used in so many different aspects of our lives, you know? Yeah. So that's why I, I see it like personal de development because it, it carries over. Um, but again, like, I just, I love to hear other people's perspective on things because it really opens up my mind to, to the other, um, yeah. ideas. Yeah, it's like somebody said to me actually in the same way about the phrase to commit suicide. And it's like I would always said about that, you know, I would admit, admit something to myself. And then I thought, no, that just makes it sound like I'm saying I did something wrong. And then when this girl was talking to me about, you know, people talking about committing suicide. And if you think of the word commit, as if you know, you're committed of a crime. So all these different things, I've just become so much more aware and so much more interested in how it can be viewed in different ways. And it also makes you think, well, I can understand maybe why somebody would choose to be offended by something like that, you know, you know, in different circumstances. Because they have experienced that word or its meaning in a different way possibly than I have. Mm -hmm. um, so it maybe has a more negative connotation. So I actually I, I geek out with these things. I really do. <laughs> on on the topic of suicide, I I was I just became mental health first aid certified. Um because okay. I'm I, I work at an overnight I why well, volunteer at an overnight warming center in the cold months. And I, um, it was an opportunity to be certified under this, you know, first aid. So I was like, okay, yeah, that's awesome. And when they were talking about suicide, it, we are supposed to now say like as first aiders and just changing the terminology, um, died by suicide because we, we did just talk about the word commit, committing a crime, committing adultery, committing, you know, all these other things. And it also takes, it takes a lot of the, because there's so much disdain when, when somebody dies, you know what I'm saying? There's people feel bad for the person that died and for their family that lost them and everything like that. If they were, if they died by homicide, it would be one thing. But when you die by suicide, you still, you, a lot of people think well, they, they had a problem, you know, and um, in general. So committing a suicide too, it takes, it takes a lot of the humanity away from the person. And, and if they were hurting, I, not from me when I hear that, but from the stigma behind it in general. And it's something that, you know, has to be talked about because the numbers of suicide are continuing to increase. Yeah, I, 
I tried to take my own life. Um, I read about it in the book and I felt awful for a long time afterwards. Anytime I heard someone speak about it or talk about it, you know, that it had happened with them or I see it, saw it on the news or whatever, uh, where somebody took their own life. Uh, I felt so, so upset that I could have done that to my children. And I felt really guilty. And then I thought, where I was at that time, I genuinely thought they would be better off without me. I genuinely thought it would be the best for everybody involved. And it's like you say, the awful stigma attached to it. People don't go out and say, just to ruin somebody else's life, I'm going to go and take my own life. They don't do it to on some whim and to deliberately destroy other people's lives. It's because you've got to a point where you really feel totally unable to cope with it in any other way, whatever mm -hmm. the situation is. So the, the labeling of the, the act itself, it did, it gave it such a stigma. And it's another reason why I thought, right, you know what? I have to be very open and honest in the book and have that in there because West Mental Health has talked about more now. It's not the nitty gritty. It's not that you know what, this is exactly how it is. It shouldn't take a phrase on social media to be trending like hashtag be kind. It shouldn't take that. It shouldn't take uh, some celebrity saying, do you know what? I'm not okay for everybody to say, do you know what? That's that that's something we all need to think we all need to think about. It should just be something that we're more aware of. And so I thought it was really important to put it in the book and not the per me way, but in a way that people can relate to it and see how there's always an option. And I, if, if I was able to go and be vulnerable and grow, there's all, obviously there's hope for them as well. And hopefully then the book will be thought provoking enough and give tools and techniques which they can try. So yeah, it, it had to be really authentic. It had to have that in there. That yes, I did try to take my own life, but I only ever tried to take my own life once. And I was so glad actually that I didn't even that split second later. My, um, because this has been such a recent topic, um, and it's been a thread throughout the year for me, just mental health in general. Um, my husband and I were talking about it and my husband, because there is such a stigma around it, but your mental health is just like physical health. Sometimes you get sick. Sometimes you, and you got to go to the doctor. Yeah. You just, you don't always feel suicidal. You don't always, you're not always in depression. Just like you don't always get COVID. Like, you, know, <laughs> you get sick and you get better. <laughs> it's literally the same thing you learn. And, and in order, you got to know your, knowing your triggers, that self-awareness that comes into play on so many different levels, especially 
when it comes to your mental health, knowing like you're capable of getting to a dark place. And, you know, one in every five Americans um, will be diagnosed this year with a mental illness. One in every five. It's a very common um, diagnosis. It's a very common diagnosis. And um, I'm I'm happy that it's being talked about more. I'm happy that we're more aware of it. I, I was at a diner, one you know, coffee shop one day. And this was right after <sighs> Miss America 2019 um, died of suicide, jumping out of the her New York apartment window. Four weeks, four, four other African-Americans, prominent African-Americans killed themselves that week. Um, and uh, I, I stated a statistic that 40, the African-American men in their 20s, suicide has increased among them by 40% since 1990. You know, it's the leading cause of death for children under 16 years old. It's, um, these are, these are very, and I'm so happy you put it in your book because these are very real statistics. And yes, we hurt other people, but the people themselves are hurting too. And there's so many things that like, I, I had a really dark season in December that I didn't, I woke up and I did not want to be alive. I did not want to be. So I, I very much understand. And so many people, it's, it's different things. There's one book I read that helps me understand it because I was just like, I, I, I need, I was constantly looking for help. I was constantly in my Bible. I was constantly doing the things right. And I was still, but I had to change my perspective. It was literally for me to change my, to take a break. I was under chronic stress. I was chronic. I was stressing me, myself out so much, but knowing these things being and being able to know that you're not alone. So that's why I'm like, I'm so happy that you put this in the book because people, especially when you're diagnosed with a terminal illness or anything like that, the, the suicide rates among those are extremely high. So it's, I think it will definitely help not only the people that are um, hurting and that, um, you know, have the low self-esteem that are struggling in, in the different areas of their lives, but it's going to help the people around them as well. Yeah, I, I really, really do hope so because, you know, it's hard to be, you can be aware of others mm -hmm. and their emotions. But it becomes very tricky if the other person has got depressive behaviours, anxiety-driven behaviours, because we tend to hide it, you know? But I mean, even my partner, he was able then to be like, right, okay, she's hiding it, she, she's done something and she's hiding it with her clothes. You know, so I, I would hope that there will be things that, that can, like that help the people who have found themselves you know, as the role of a carer, my husband said, you know what, I had no choice. Well, of course, he did have a choice. He could have said, Catriona, I've had enough of all the drama and the illnesses and I can't cope, but I'm going. But he stepped up and he did. He fell at the role of a carer. And yeah, I think he still struggles to get out of it.
but it's something that I hope that is more at the forefront with people that they are aware of other people who are a suffering or b having to go through that uh, being a carer for others and having to not only pick up the slack but also then to have to deal with their own hurt or to deal with their own feelings and their children's feelings. There are so many things, this ripple effect of it is huge. So that's like, like you're saying, I really do the, 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 uh, the idea of making that positive impact is not limited to the person in the eye of the storm who has really low self-esteem or has a diagnosis or whatever, there's also those people who are supporting them that got the help as well. I think that's a really big thing. Yeah, it is. Well, I just want to thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story and sharing so much. This is a great conversation. And um, again, guys, her links are in the show notes or the description box, wherever you're watching this or listening to this um, below. So um, thank you so much, Catriona, for being here. I greatly, greatly appreciate you. You're welcome. I really love being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Empowered Woman Badass and Unfiltered Podcast. If you found any value in this, please consider sharing and subscribing. Now go out and be a badass.